Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey, this is Daniel Marketing with In Doubt, and on today's episode, I have Brian Walker on the show with me today. Brian is a biblical counselor. He does Christian counseling with his organization where they counsel people a lot of times online, but he also helps with other churches and helping them to counsel well. And so we're actually talking about purity, talking about sexual purity, along with all the different aspects that come with that. It's kind of a big discussion around how do we live well in a world that's you know so over-sexualized, but yet how do we continue to pursue the Lord? And and even we go into talking about shame and how do we live lives that are not filled with shame and begin to trust the Lord even with those things as well. So lots to unpack in this episode. I hope you enjoy. Hey, welcome to In Doubt. My name is Daniel Markin, and today I'm joined by Brian Walker. Brian, how are you doing today? Doing great. Pleasure to be with you. Pleasure to be with you as well. Um, you know, for our listeners, you might not know who you are. You are currently a writer for the Gospel Coalition, but you do a bunch of other things as well uh, as your main ministry. So, you know, you've written an article here that we want to discuss with you. Uh, we we actually think, you know, this is going to be a great thing to dive into. Um, but before we jump in, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, kind of where you came from, or sometimes as I say, you know, what's your deal? <laughs> uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so... Um... Married my wife, Kristen, uh, 22 years. We have three children, two of whom are kind of launching into adulthood. Our oldest two are 20 and 18. Our youngest is 14. And so um, we are kind of uh, launching some and and have one who's uh, got a couple years of high school left ahead of him. Uh, My full-time role is with Anchored Hope. Uh, I'm the director of counselor development for Anchored Hope, which is an online uh, counseling ministry. Uh, we serve the local church. We serve uh, really any individuals needing help and hope rooted in the gospel. And uh, we have counselors scattered all over the country, one in Brazil. And currently, if my math is correct, I think we have 17 counselors at the moment and uh, adding to that wow. regularly. That is That sounds like a machine of a, of a ministry right there. Um, was there someone maybe in your life who like really impacted you that that you're like, man, I want to be a counselor one day too. Like, like, or was it when you just start working the church? You're like, oh, I, I actually should just keep pursuing this. I think more than anything, when when I was in seminary, uh, a friend of mine handed me a book by Ed Welch called "When People Are Big and God Is Small," and uh, the book really deals with fear of man issues and the way that that impacts us and whether the scriptures address that. And uh, as I read that book, it was like I was seeing my own heart on display. And so there was a, a level of self-understanding that came from that, um, that, that opened my eyes to the need in my own life for that. And then the desire to, to be able to, uh, to preach and teach and come alongside others in a way that, um, and enables people to understand the dynamic operations of the heart. Um, there's a, in a sense, a pattern to how sin, uh, manifests itself in our lives. And sometimes we, we don't slow down to examine that. We don't slow down and know ourselves. We just kind of, um, we, we see the results of it and we say, I need to stop doing that. And then people get stuck 
because they realize like I, I don't know I don't understand all the why behind why I keep going back to this um, this particular sin and uh, so one of the things I love is being able to slow down with people and help them understand the why uh, why is it that sin is often so appealing why is it that our hearts gravitate toward things we know are destructive um, and why is it we so often struggle to to break addictive patterns in our lives um so i, I love kind of dwelling in that uh when when i do counseling I, I kind of describe it in three phases there's um stop the bleeding right it's kind of a triage is there anything so destructive that we just need to focus on on uh bringing some relief in that area but where we spend most of our time is in the second phase uh what i call heart surgery uh which is uh what's going on at the level of the heart uh, what are the controlling desires that uh, are manifesting themselves in in this person's response to to life? And then uh, flowing out of that is what I call rehab, which is what are the new godly rhythms and, and habits that should flow from the, that transformation that we're trusting God to work by His Spirit. As you're working and talking with people, and you've you know by nature of working with all these different churches, uh, you probably notice some patterns. What are some of the whys that pop up the most? Yeah, so I think uh, right now, the thing we see most is why do I feel anxious all the time? So there are a few things that uh, we saw steadily increase as the pandemic wore on. Um, not that these issues weren't present before, but uh, I think maybe they were more under the surface and there was something about both the isolation of the pandemic and the polarization that began to manifest in virtually every area of life, especially here in the US, um, that kind of took the lid off for a lot of folks um, and and made them feel like things that seem stable, things that seem I could, could rely on these aspects of life remaining the same. Suddenly when that came unraveled, there was just a massive increase in anxiety. The number of people that at Anchored Hope that we saw coming to us to address both anxiety and depression related issues and then sometimes out of that anxiety leading into anger, anxiety leading into conflict. Um, and so that that seems to be the why that people right now really want to uh, drill down into is uh, why can't I get a handle on anxiety in my life? Right. And, it, and it, it's tough because there's a, a lie that flows around, floats around in, in our Christian world where it's like, hey, if you believe in Jesus, there is no anxiety, right? There, everything is melted away. You're going to be completely free from these things. And pretty quickly, I think, you know, life comes at you pretty fast and you realize, oh, I, yes, I'm a new creation in Christ, but yet I'm still in a broken world. I'm still broken, right? Still struggle with sin. And so, you know, those things obviously all play into that and all factor into that. And I think we often, uh, we receive that command not to be anxious as if it is, more of a command than an invitation. When we see the heart of Christ as he is um, telling us over and over again, uh, do not worry, be anxious for nothing. We, we tend to receive that in a way that actually adds to our anxiety because we hear it as a rebuke that's almost as if he's just disappointed and he's just saying, why can't you get it together? When actually I, I, I think in context, those um, are really more invitations that say, uh, I'm here, I'm with you, I'm present in the midst of your 
uh, suffering. I'm present in the midst of this uh, crazy world that feels unpredictable. I'm I'm in control, and it's not just a cold sovereignty. It's a it's it's a loving. I'm wielding my power lovingly on behalf uh, of my children, and and so that just that uh, drawing near uh, elements of all of those repeated words of do not be anxious. I, I kind of liken it to when I was a kid, I grew up in a Northwest Ohio where we had a lot of tornadoes. And, uh, when those storms would roll through, my dad would kind of lead the family down into the basement. We had a place under the stairs that we would go until they passed. And, and he would often say to my brother and I, like, don't be afraid. And it, it wasn't, it, it wasn't a rebuke. It was actually a reassurance, a reminder. I'm, I'm with you. We know what this is. We're going to get through it. How much more God who spoke the universe into existence, as he says that to us, is, is doing so as a father reassuring us of his presence and his love. Yeah. And, and that's even made even more beautiful and amazing because the father knows that we don't have it all together. Like he, he, like we try and hide it from him and we try and hide it from everyone else. And we like pretend we all have it together. And yet he knows that we don't. And for him to still say that, do not be anxious. Like I know that you don't have it together. That's a, it's a really beautiful thing. You know, changing gears here a little bit. We, we have your article here from Gospel Coalition on Christian living, right? And we're talking about purity and your article is titled, Purity Means Seeing More, Not Less. Uh, you know, we had just kind of briefly chatted before the program. But uh, as you talk about purity, we're talking about sexual purity. With that, though, I mean, I feel like there's a few nuanced things we should dive into um, before we just jump into this. One of them being that, and you brought this up, and I completely agree with you, that so many times we talk about purity and, and some of your work and counseling and, and all that stuff, we tend to only think that matters in just sexual purity. Like that's the only thing that matters. And if I'm sexually pure, then everything else is um is you know taken care of before god and uh you know it's not as simple as that right you can be in a really good season where you're sexually pure and yet filled with anger you could be you know lying you could be doing all sorts of other uh other sins that you know aren't as like blatant as sexual sin um you know do, do you have anything else that, as you think about that that tends to, to play into that situation of, you know, you, you mentioned it's a very truncated thing. Why is it so truncated? Yeah, I think there are some sins that we tend to um, form our identity around more than others. And, and some of it is just uh, what what feels taboo, you know, in the culture or in the church. Uh, we, we live in a world where sexuality is kind of the basis of one's identity. And, uh, and there's a Christian version of that, I think, where those who struggle in this area tend to collapse their identity down into how well this one area is going. And so um, in, in working with, with those who struggle with pornography addictions, uh, there can be a, uh, like my identity rests on how long I've gone without looking at pornography. Uh, and, and where that truncates the view is kind of in two ways. So if, if things are going well, it can lead to a, a, a truncated kind of pride, right? Like, well, that things are going great. And, and so a lot of blind spots begin to form where we may not see other areas where the Lord's at work, other areas where we need to put our hearts under the microscope, um, whether it's pride or anger uh, or just selfishness manifesting in other, other areas of life. 
the other side of that is there can be a despondency, right? So when things are not going well, there can be just this utter collapse of identity that happens where uh, a person says, that's just all I am. Like, here I go again. That's who I am. Um, the shame sin cycle uh, begins to just kind of take a downward spiral. And, uh, and so I think the Lord calls us to an identity that is uh, larger than that, that's more holistic, uh, a view of purity that says purity is, is not just about the absence of something or the negation of something in my life, but it really is about reflecting the image of God. God's uh, called me to, to imitate him to be like him, to reflect the likeness of Christ. Uh, and so, uh, and I think about Matthew 5, 2, that says, you know, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, or Matthew 5, 8, rather, uh, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Right. So heart purity, which I think is talking about more than just our sexuality there, um, is is both opening our eyes to see more of who God is, but also as we see more of God, then that's transforming us and feeding back into that purity that he calls us to. Yeah. And I, and I think with that too comes an honesty, like to be pure in heart too, is honest with God about what, what you're struggling with, right? Whether it is just sexual sin or other types of sin, I think it's like inviting him into that where now you're walking with him, bringing him into those things and asking him to help you. I think that also plays into the idea of being pure in heart. Do you find, so in, you know, in, in your counseling, does sexual sin affect people differently than other types of sins? Do you know what I mean by that? Like as, as you tend to counsel people, like, you know, cause we, it's a real prominent issue and we live in a society that is like so over-sexualized. Like it's, it's insane. And even, you know, you, you turn on your phone and you're getting bombarded with images, right? And this goes for men and women. You could go off of social media, watch a commercial, boom, you're bombarded with images. You could not watch TV. You drive past a billboard, boom, you're bombarded with over-sexualized images. Is there something different about the way sexual sin affects people as opposed to, you know, like anger or lying, or, you know, in your experience, what, what are some of the things that you're seeing? Yeah, it does seem to strike more at the core of uh, how they view themselves in general. This is not always the case, but I think some of it has to do with the way the church has has handled these things. Uh, and so, you know, in the article, I, I reference the both some of the positive and negative elements of purity culture, and and I think one of the one of the negative aspects of purity culture was it it really had an avoidance emphasis. And so when you grow up in a, in a culture and environment that has an avoidance emphasis around issues of sexuality, then what happens is it, it can kind of uh, elevate that sin in such a way that it begins to shape your sense of, of who you are and can, I think, open up um, a, a more, more powerful experience of shame. shame. Shame is often experienced on the horizontal. So people feel their guilt vertically in the presence of god they they know you know i've sinned against god uh, i know that this is wrong and and yet shame has to do with kind of how how we view ourselves uh both vertically sometimes people struggle with the sense of god just cannot forgive me for this but also horizontally people see me in a certain way people 
uh, I, I talked to one counselor who said it it feels like there's a, there's an expression in the book of Malachi that talks about having dung on your face. And he said that's that's what I feel like when I reflect on my sin. I feel like this is just what people see. This is who I am, um, and there's no way to as much as I try to scrub myself clean. There's no way to to remove it. And so uh, I think there are a lot of factors that play into that. And again, God God takes our sexuality very seriously, and there's a strong emphasis on pursuing sexual purity in the scriptures. Uh, and yet, I think there's some also some unhealthy ways in which we've elevated that uh, beyond other aspects of sin in our lives. Yeah, one of the ways that I've seen it with you know some of my ministry with young adults is you go your whole life being told you know sex is for marriage, sex is for marriage, sex is for marriage, which it is. But then you get married and I know people who like really have a hard time with switching the other way, being like, oh, wait, no, this is actually a good thing and a desirable thing because their whole life has been told you have to avoid this thing. And then to all of a sudden flick a switch and say, now you should go do this thing uh, can be a really tricky thing for people. Yeah, and there's there's a sense in which uh, that the way we've talked about these things leads to the sense of if I if I'm not one of those who waited until marriage, then somehow I'm marred in a way that's irredeemable. Man, what a powerful thing that can be in a person's life if there's one area where they say the gospel, the gospel reaches all these other areas, but in this area, maybe I, I'm I know on one level I'm forgiven, but there can be this sense of I'm forever damaged goods because I didn't I didn't follow the call that true love waits. And um man, I just I want people to know and hear the good news of the gospel that we have a savior who uh, who not only forgives but he also restores he makes whole people who've been broken and damaged by sin in in every area in every realm of life and uh, and sexual sin is not excluded from that yeah and and with that too is like not just the someone who's just been watching pornography or uh, it can be people who were like sexually abused too feeling like you know it wasn't of they're choosing, you know, as a kid, and they feel like they're damaged goods and things. And what a beautiful thing the gospel is, and that we are restored, we are a new creation, and there is a a beautiful side of that with him, with the Lord taking away the shame. You know, as you, I want to dive into that. Then talking about shame, as you talk, think about purity cultures, you think about biblical purity and and counseling people, and then the topic of shame comes up. How are you able to like? What, what hope? Tell, tell us the hope of, of the gospel as it pertains to shame, that the Lord takes away our shame. And, and what does that look like? What does that begin to feel like? Yeah, I think asking what it looks like is the right question because uh, it's one of those uh, truths that people can know intellectually and not, not feel it personally. So they know the cross deals with shame. They know that Jesus died to remove not only our guilt, but also our shame. But a passage that's been very helpful for me, and I've noticed that people seem to find help in this because it kind of visualizes it, is uh, Zechariah 3, 1 through 5. So you have Joshua, the high priest, who is representing the nation of Israel and the, the many sins of Israel, and he's covered in filthy garments. And Satan, the accuser, is standing there and, and accusing Joshua. And there's this beautiful picture of the Lord intervening, right? The Lord saying, the Lord rebuking Satan. Uh, 
uh, for this accusation. And then the angel of the Lord comes and removes the filthy garments that Joshua is wearing, and he replaces them with clean garments and puts a clean turban on his head. And uh, and, and I think that the you know that visual uh, is what the the gospel writers are picking up on as they speak of the righteousness of Christ as a a robe of righteousness. Um, or Paul in Galatians three, where he says, "As many of you as were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. You put on Christ." Um, just that visual of he he becomes the covering who reshapes our identity. Um, his righteousness, his purity becomes not just a status that's abstracted from who we are, but it actually becomes who we are, right? He, in Colossians 3, he says, um, you know, your life is hidden with God in Christ, and Christ is your life. And so just the uh, that idea that he begins to cover the things that we are so tempted to look at and say, that's what tells me who I am. And he, he gives us that robe of righteousness and, and removes our, our filthy garments. It's just a, a beautiful picture. And I think there's something about the visual of that, that maybe, maybe hits a little deeper than just saying you're forgiven and you don't need to feel ashamed anymore. Yeah. As you counsel people through this and counsel them through shame and talk about purity, what breaks your heart the most? as you, as you talk with people and, 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 you know, maybe you see patterns, but what is one of the most painful things for you as you counsel people? Well, it's painful to see, um, it's painful to see marriages that are deeply affected by repeated sexual sin. It's painful to see how that affects both, uh, the one who's been affected by it the victim in a sense, and the, the one who continues to pursue it because it, it so often creates a dynamic uh, between them that is, is so difficult to find compassion. Uh, when you've been hurt by your spouse's sexual sin, it's very difficult to now view that spouse with eyes of compassion that say, I long for healing and wholeness in his or her life, not just because of what this is because of how that will make my life easier and how that will remove a burden for me. But because I, I sincerely want my spouse to reflect the image of Christ as sexual sin kind of wears down a marriage. So often that compassion is lost in, in the midst of it. And then it just becomes a, a real embittered kind of uh, struggle for uh, often the, the, the person who has committed the sin is struggling to prove himself or prove herself through progress and and loses sight of the gospel that idea of christ is my righteousness he's my sanctification he's my redemption and on the other side the person who's been hurt by that sin kind of loses sight of that as well because there's a sense of this this pain runs so deep that i i'm I'm just not sure i can ever trust again and the challenge is helping that person kind of take that first step out clearly that there needs to be an established track record of trustworthiness for the hurt spouse to begin to trust again. But as that's established, then there's the scary moment of I'm seeing trustworthiness. I'm seeing what, what really looks like a sustained record of repentance. And so how do I take that first step and say, I'm, I'm going to trust even before I feel completely ready because that's the only way trust actually grows. Otherwise it wouldn't be trust. Right. It's a step of faith, but what are you going to get ripped, like let down again? I mean, that's the, that's the great fear, right? 
Yeah, and, and so ultimately what both the sexual sinner and the person who's been affected by that sin needs to see is the faithfulness we need to rely on is the faithfulness of Christ, right? And that's where that step of trust has to start out and really not just start out, beginning, middle, and end. Um, that trust is completely rooted in the faithfulness of Christ. And so it's saying, I, I see a growing trustworthiness in my spouse, and I know that it's not perfect, um, but I know that God who is faithful is at work here. And so on that basis, I'm going to take that first step and begin to trust again. Definitely. You know, in your article here, you have three main points. You say, uh, one, we need to, need to see more of ourselves. Two, we need to see more of others. And three, we need to see more of God. And um, our listeners can go back and, and read the article for, you know, more nuance. But, the, you know, these three points that you have, what's the common theme in all of them, right? Need to see more of ourselves, see more of others, and see more of God. Uh, and, you know, we, could you just give us a, a brief, like, what is each one of those, you know, in like two sentences, but then what's the theme that ties all three of those together? Yeah, so seeing more of ourselves is that uh, holistic view that God's, uh, God's larger agenda in my life is to reflect Christ-likeness. And seeing more of others is recognizing that uh, God has called us to relate to one another and, and members of the opposite sex as image bearers, right? To uh, Paul instructs Timothy to, to teach people in the church in Ephesus to uh, relate to, for young men to relate to younger women as sisters in all purity, which means that there, there's a relationship there of respect and friendship. And, and, and we see it in the life of Christ. Christ pays attention to the women who are often objectified and marginalized in the first century. And, but he does so in a, in, in a perfectly safe and non-sexual way, in a way that dignifies them. Um, and then seeing more of God is just that recognition that purity comes as the Lord opens our eyes to his beauty, his glory. It's not the denial of beauty. It's actually having our eyes open to uh, the greater glory and beauty of God. Uh, you know, I think about 2 Corinthians 3.18, you know, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from one degree of glory into the next. And so the thing that ties all those together is that in each case, whether ourselves or others or God, is that uh, the pursuit of purity is about opening our eyes. It's about seeing more. Uh, it's not ultimately about diverting our eyes, uh, although that's certainly part of it. And there, there are boundaries that are, are necessary. And I've reference those in the article. Um, ultimately, purity comes as our eyes are open wider and we begin to see more as Jesus sees. Mm, so good. Brian, we're, you know, we should come in for a landing here uh, for our, our time together. But I just want to ask you this, you know, for listeners, this goes for men and women. And I think just for everybody, because everyone's going to be in a different season of fighting sexual sin, right? And, um, you know, you might be in a really good season, things are going really well might be a really difficult season. Um, I just think it's it's unavoidable in our culture that that like you're going to experience this. I don't think you can like run from it. I think we need to know how to fight it well, if that makes sense, and, and how to like continue to live faithfully. For those who are, are really struggling with it, what would, you know, um, you recommend or would be some of the first steps to begin to live a life of purity? Yeah, the first thing I would encourage them to do is to begin to begin to talk about it. Find 
a trusted friend, someone who you know is uh, who, who loves you, who loves the Lord, who's willing to speak the truth into your life, um, but to do so in a way that's uh, that really is rooted in love and not just condemnation. It's, it feels counterintuitive, but the first step really is knowing and understanding the gospel that because the gospel is true, there is freedom to openly talk about all the areas in which we are broken, in which sin is still present in our lives, because we, we know now we can do that without that shaking us to our core in terms of our identity. That is secure. Uh, who we are in Christ is secure. And so um, preaching the gospel to yourself is actually the, the beginning point of being able to have the kind of open confession. Uh, I have a, a pastor friend who would say, because the gospel is true, whenever I feel the accusation of others or of my own heart, I can always say, actually, it's far worse than that. And praise God that God's grace is even greater. Um, and so being honest, stepping out into the light and trusting that, um, that Jesus moves toward you in that moment. He moves toward you in the midst of your sin uh, and brokenness and not away from you. Uh, is the first step. And then finding loving accountability, kind of going back to the triage model in terms of stop the bleeding. There are some practical things that need to happen. You know, what are the environmental things that are uh, often leading me into sin? Whether that's phone and some measures that need to be taken in terms of uh, accountability with uh, media. But then, you know, the heart surgery component is really where the, the heavy lifting happens. Um, a lot of times it, it's, it's about understanding the on-ramps. Uh, when I meet with men and women who struggle in this area, uh, they often say the visuals are not the thing that lead me to, to this. It's often the um, despondency of feeling overwhelmed or stress or um, needing just needing a sense of reward uh, so understanding what are the underlying on-ramps of the heart uh, that leads you into sexual sin is, is vitally important. Um, and trusting that, that Christ will not only reveal those things, but begin to, um, to redirect the affections of your heart uh, as you run to him. Uh, and then from that, again, the rehab, what are the, the godly rhythms and, and habits? Uh, there's, there is a kind of a, brain element to this where the the neuro pathways of the brain are trained by the things we go to over and over again um and so in addressing an addictive issue it, it's it's really important to understand that uh new rhythms new habits are part of reshaping those pathways um giving us places that are healthy and right and good and true where we now begin to naturally go when we feel stressed and overwhelmed and so being able to address it in all three of those areas, I think is, is really important. But if you're right in the throes of it, stop the bleeding and then begin to ask some of those serious, serious heart questions. Brian, thank you for, for all of this, man. Thank you for your time and just walking us through this issue. And uh, I was just really blessed by this. So I appreciate it. And hopefully we can have you back on the program again. Yeah, thank you. Great to be with you. Thanks so much for listening. 
If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. In Doubt is a ministry that exists to engage young people with biblical truth and provide answers for many of today's questions of life, faith, and culture. Through audio programs, articles, and blogs, In Doubt reaches out to encourage, strengthen, and disciple young adults. To check out all the resources of In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca in Canada or indoubt.com in the U.S. Or if you're in a position or share a passion for the ministry of young people, you can support the ongoing mission of engaging a new generation with the truth of the Bible. First, you can pray for this ministry. And second, and if you are able, please consider a financial gift by visiting indoubt.ca in Canada or indoubt.com in the U.S. Your gift of any amount is such a blessing and an answer to prayer. Thanks.